The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. We're here for our 10th episode of Great Rugby Chat. Thanks to the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate and your home of the biggest and best rugby discussion kicking around. And we do want you involved, of course, so don't forget to leave us a question uh, or an issue that you want us to cover under the new episode page every Wednesday on the Raw, um, or hit us up on the socials, or of course, wherever you get your podcasts. Join me again this week, uh, once again from the great state of Texas, and with no new trips on the horizon that he's admitted to me, it's rugby wordsmith, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. How are you? How's it, Brad? Uh, that's your name, <laughs> I understand, from the coffee no. shop. Don't don't That's bring my 1970s don't, band. Don't bring my coffee mishaps into this. I'm really trying to get away from this. I'm I'm think very very seriously thinking of adopting a, a colleague's uh, methods here in Canberra. He's just he's just Sean, and then the only argument is his spelling. It's Sean. You can't get Sean wrong. Uh, but we have got lots of rugby to talk about. I'm very excited about this episode, <laughs> Brad. I'm very excited. Let's you know why this guy we're going to introduce you about to introduce him. He's the only guy who picks teams of the tournament or teams of the week or teams of anything that actually makes sense. Mm. Every other team of the week you see in the newspaper is rubbish. Yeah. This guy, yeah. you know, so, how to pick. So let's talk to him right now. The Raw Rugby Podcast. Another intriguing weekend of Super Rugby Pacific saw only one more red card, uh, another makeup game played in New Zealand, leaving us with just one more to be played this weekend coming before the competition is officially back on track. And so it's timely to touch base over the Tasman once again. Please welcome to the Royal Rugby Podcast, senior sports writer with stuff.co.nz, City Morning Herald rugby columnist, Paul Cully. Hello, mate. How are you? Um, I'm good, Brett. How's the election campaign going over there? Or should, oh. we move, should we move swiftly on? No, let's please <laughs> move on, mate. Let's please move on. I'm already, I'm, I'm over it. It's days old. I'm done. It's no election talk. Harry, got it? Yeah, okay. Hey, how's it, Paul? <laughs> uh, really good to meet you. Actually, read your, I've read your stuff for a long time on the stuff, but uh, I think you also wrote for some Australian newspapers, no? Well, yeah. and Harry, yeah. Paul, Paul wrote for The Raw about a decade ago, in fact. You make it, you're oh. making me feel very old here. Well, I'm afraid <laughs> I predate you on The Raw, mate. So, <laughs> um, so really interesting uh, weekend, as I said. And we'll start where we start every week. Um, Paul, kick us off. What stood out for you from, uh, from round eight? I think those uh, two games in New Zealand, the um, Chiefs versus Blues and the uh, Crusaders uh, versus Hurricanes, to me, that was a big step up in the competition. It, it, um, was, it was a different level, both of those games, anything what we've seen previously. And, um, you know, it's it, it's a bit of a sign to the Australian teams about what's coming in the Super mm. Round. I know that's you know, a fortnight away, but the intensity of those games for 80 minutes in, in each match, I think, was um, is where we want Super Rugby Pacific to be. And, yeah. and uh, as a as a neutral, I mean, I was at the Highlanders one, Pacifica game on Friday in Dunedin. But as a neutral, looking at those two other games, I mean, I was I was pretty thrilled with the, with the quality of the rugby. And you know, I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on that as well. Yeah, well, look, I mean, uh, Hurricanes Crusaders, I think we knew was going to be a ripper, um, but Chiefs Blues felt. Um, I mean, no one saw twenty five nil coming. I don't think anyone saw that, but it was. It certainly wasn't as one-sided as, as the scoreboard said. No. And when you look at 
when you look at the Blues this uh, this season, I've got two words for you, Joe Smith. They yeah. had him at the start of the year, and his influence is it's really becoming apparent. He was hired as a you know some coaching support nonsense title. He's doing a lot of coaching there. You know, yeah. I was, I, when they were down in Dunedin at the start of the season, I watched him before game started. They are dancing to Joe Smith's beat. I mean, he is he is a magnificent world class coach. Mm. And the word is that the, you know the Blues players, including their senior All Blacks, are hanging on his every word, um, rate him incredibly highly. The Blues have been building for two or three years, but I think Smith Smith's addition has really taken him to another level. Yeah, I like the deep Celtic insight from the Irishman living in the most <laughs> yeah. Scottish-sounding town in the Southern Hemisphere, <laughs> Joe Schmidt. No, I think that's right. You know, so yeah. for me, I think the Blues, to begin with the season, I, I always thought they were a quality team. Uh, I would say probably the New Zealand coaches are a little bit nervous about the injuries starting to mount up, just yeah. smashing derbies. Um, they're really killing it. So now Ethan Blackadder and Dalton Papaili, I guess, have the inside track because I, I actually believe that Shannon Frizzell was having one of the best seasons in Super Rugby, um, but I think it looks like he's actually badly hurt. Uh, no, it was it was gripping, it was dramatic. Mm -hmm. I do fear for some of the Australian teams. Not all. I think the Reds and Brumbies can hang, but I think some of the other teams are going to have a rude awakening. And for anyone downgrading Moana Pacifica, I mean, these guys are staying in matches uh, until yeah. it was 22-17 with uh, 17 minutes to go. Uh, they just don't have the bench you know, to take them, take them to the house. But yeah, the final lineout, the drama of Artie Savea, you know, I've, yeah. I've compared him to a human rights activist with massive leg drive. And so he was <laughs> up in the air against the hallway pounder, Biff Barrett. Scott Barrett, um, yeah. Skullduggery, the ref had his arms out. All fair before the thing even happened. Like, I'm not going to do anything else. I gave you a yeah. lineout. You do what you want. And it was a 1955 lineout. Elbows. <laughs> I think Barrett was pulling was... his pants down. Yeah, <laughs> it was all go, wasn't it? That last line out was just everything. Everything was on. Paul, I'm, I'm to be fair, a bad, to be fair, a bad throw. Just so, yeah. So Ari yeah. Savea, he's, he got interfered with, but that was a terrible throw on the side of the Crusader. Yeah. Well, so on that topic, um, and I know that one went the wrong way for for the Hurricanes, but when was the last time you saw a contested line out throw pulled up for not being straight? We're seeing uncontested ones being pulled up right, correctly. But I reckon there's a lot of contested lineouts, Paul, that, that aren't being aren't being contested as much as they should be, or aren't being policed like they should be. Yeah, it's it, it's a funny one because um, I think when you're talking about contested lineouts, I think you've seen a lot of New Zealand teams put guys up this year mm. in a way that they haven't been doing previously. Um, Harry mentioned Shannon Frizzell's injury. The other guy that had got injured on Friday night for the Highlanders was Manaki Selby Rickett. He is an athlete, basketball background, and he has been leading their line out defense all year. He gets up all the time. And, you know, I think as, as fans, we go, why don't they do this more often? And I think the pennies kind of drop for, for a lot of teams. They are contesting a lot more. Uh, and why not? Because we see that when the mall gets set, it's very, very hard to stop. Yeah, and so it's it's much better to cut off at source if you possibly can than, than do that. Um, I'm intrigued to know, Paul, what's the view on Moana Pacifica and to, a, to an extent the Fijian Indrua now that we are two months into Super Rugby Pacific? What's the, what's the feeling about the new teams in New Zealand this year? Well, obviously the focus here is on, on Moana and, you know, positive. 
I think mm. they have exceeded expectations here. Um, and I mean, I think people are enjoying the physicality they're bringing on defence. Mm. Uh, Dale McLeod's doing their defence. Um, he's a Southland coach. Um, he's got a leadership group of, of, of guys around that, but they're just smacking players. Yeah. It's a different sort of defence to, to New Zealand teams. And Harry's right. You know, the Australian team should be very, very wary in mm. the Pacifica when they play those crossover games because a lot of these players have been schooled in the New Zealand system and are used to playing at a high intensity for prolonged periods. Now, they're not quite there yet against the New Zealand teams, but um, they've got some good players and your old mate Christian Delefano is leading them around well. Mm. Um, they're and they've got the ability to hurt anybody in that Australian side of the draw. Yeah, I think um, I think we find out over these next few weeks who's really got the fitness bases covered uh, toward the back end of games. Paul, you wrote it. We've been talking about cards for the last few weeks because everyone has, because it's almost unescapable at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you wrote that in, intriguing piece uh, late last week for the Herald in Sydney saying that Super Rugby Pacific isn't, helping the 20-minute red card uh, trial from the perspective of the Northern Hemisphere teams. How is it being seen up north? What's the feedback you're getting? Well, like, from the outset, I, w- I would say that I'm, I'm a fan of the 20-minute road, where I was last mm. year. But, but there's a reason why these um, trials are, uh, go through multiple campaigns. It's yeah. to find out what the actual impact is going to be over longer term. And I think the view in the Northern Hemisphere, and I'm kind of coming around to that way of thinking, is that there is a logical inconsistency between using red cards to change player behavior. And that's what yeah. it's obvious. That's the stated intent of using the red cards and having a 20-minute rule for red cards because it's not changing player behavior, is it? The red no, card numbers no. are not going down. And, no. and teams are that well-drilled these days that they know uh, cynically, maybe a little bit cynically, that they can they can wear a red card. Mm. That is the opposite intent of what the red card is for. And now we know that World Rugby is desperate, desperate to reduce any sort of collisions involving the head. I just don't see how the 20, 20 minute rule and World Rugby stated mm. intent match up. Um, I may be wrong, but I, I think that one's dead on the wall. Yeah, it will be. It will be interesting to see what what happens there. I, I I've said it a thousand times. Uh, if if World Rugby want to get serious about this, they can cut the fifty percent discount for good records and early pleas out. That'd make a difference. Like by all means, have something for early pleas, but fifty percent is ridiculous. And, yeah, I mean, like it's it's a topic that I've really changed my mind on. I mm. suppose in the last year, and and it was actually a conversation with Dave Rennie that that that, that put the the, um, the seed of doubt in my mind about my position because I was talking to Dave Rennie last year. Um, I did an interview with him for the for the Herald, and we were talking about head high contact. And he was on the World Rugby, one of the World Rugby committees. that like, you know, came up with the framework, and I mentioned a specific incident to him. I don't know if you remember. It was Tony Pulu against the Brumbies in Canberra last year. He was kind of behind two tacklers. They hit the guy and he's fallen into, he's hit Tony mm. Pudu's shoulder. And I said to, to, to Dave, I think that's a rugby collision. 
And he kind of went, mm, Tony had a chance to get his body height lower. Yeah. So, and he said, look, we want parents of boys and girls to be confident about the safety of their kids playing rugby. Yeah. And to hear that from him, to me, was a little bit of a, well, are you sure about your current thinking? And since then, I've also spoken to the lawyer involved in this case against World Rugby, to all the players, you know, early onset dementia, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And I am with you. If we are serious about making safety a priority, then we have to change player behavior. Yeah. And if that means changing outcomes of games, so that's it. it. Yeah, 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 and I, and I made the point in a, in a column last week that you know this this isn't a new thing. These 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 yeah. new guidelines came in at the end of 2016, so we've been playing it in Super Rugby for six seasons now, and we haven't changed it. Harry, I loved your. Um, I said it would look like it was on the back of a beer coaster. It could only be better if it was on the back of a beer coaster. But your little little plot graph that you popped on socials in the last few days about cards and 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 basically where teams are on the tables is fascinating. You mean this one? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so someone said there's no correlation. Obviously, that's true. It's very loose, tiny sample size. But, okay, so you can look at five, six, eight seasons and heavily penalised teams are are not at the bottom of the table uh, and lightly penalised teams are not at the top. And it doesn't work like that in rugby. It's like serving in tennis. If I'm going to go for aces a lot, I'm going to have more double faults because I'm going to increase the likelihood of having a second serve. So I'm going for it. If I don't want to have a lot of double faults, let me just baby the ball in every time. So physical teams, uh, teams that are bringing it at the game line are going to have a lot of collisions that they win. And that's the holy grail. That's what France is doing. That's what South Africa did is they live on the game line. And they do, and they tackle. They are higher. Our body height is the issue. Yeah. And you said, what's new? What's not new? What's not new is um, collisions. What is new is that we are being coached from the earliest times to choke, to do two man tackles, to do to do high low tackles, to pilfer, to win the game line, to stop someone in the tracks and push them back. And that is, and coupling that with increased ball and in play. A bigger, stronger fraud. I mean, we were just talking with Paul before the podcast about how Irish physiognomy and physicality mm-hmm. has changed. You have, you have generations, you have people getting bigger and taller and stronger. And so that is what's driving some of this. World rugby knows this. World rugby knows that they have to do something. So they're attacking height because height is the one factor, I suppose, you can do the most uh, in terms of training, coaching, yeah. and and preparing i can make myself I mean, paul has a great piece about the experiment with geordie barrett at 12 for example and i think one of the big points he makes there is you know can geordie barrett such a tall guy play 12 and set that rug target you know at his, at his height is he going to get turned over and the, mm. and the thinking he said i think paul you said that against the french in the, in the box you know he's a he's a target to turn over that's how rugby's played now it's yeah it's up it's up here you're not tackling yeah, around the shoelaces. Yeah, Harry is so spot on there with the coaching, especially with the two-man tackle. If you watch any super rugby team practice defensive drills, 
you will see a guy go low and you'll see a guy go high. Mm. And that initial contact, when I'm talking about high, I'm talking high, I'm talking yeah, chest. chest high, yeah, yeah. And if you speed that up into a proper game, it's no wonder we're seeing what we're seeing. Mm. And it's funny how I mentioned Jordy Barrett because Jason Holland, the Hurricanes coach, gave a press conference today. Um, he mentioned the Artie Savia thing, but he also said Crusaders should have had a yellow or a red in the second half. He didn't mention the incident, but he said what happened in the second half. I went and looked at the tape, and the incident I think he's talking about is Tom Christie, Crusaders flanker, right shoulder, and Jordy Barrett's chin. Yeah. Jordy Barrett is like eight foot six. <laughs> and even when he's running in the even when he's running in the contact and in this incident, you know, he's got himself lower, he's generating that momentum. Uh, Christie is upright and hits him, I think, first point of impact, his right shoulder on his chin, yeah. slow it down. I think that's the incident he's talking about. But Harry's right, this is how these guys are coached. Yes. Yes. This is it's not an accident. They're not slowly reacting to getting no. down. They've been told this is where you hit people. They either stop the offload or stop somebody dead in their tracks. Mm. And, and that that's the problem for the game that, you know, it hasn't really confronted yet. Yeah. It's it's gonna be intriguing. It's and it's gonna be a topic that we that we keep coming back to and because it's it's not going away. Some numbers just to finish this little bit. So so far. In eight rounds of Super Open Pacific, we've had 52 cards, nine of them red, and that's from 42 games. At the end of Super Rugby AU and Aotearoa last year, which was 43 games, there was 10 reds and 41 yellows. And the only real difference this year to last year is that of those 10 red cards last year, there was only one in New Zealand. So this year, it's a little bit more spread around. So behaviours aren't changing. That's what we're ultimately coming down, back to, and it's and it's going to be interesting to see what is going to be the catalyst going forward to make it change because you know it has to change and it hasn't changed enough yet uh, to, no. to do it. So so some, something's got to happen, and I'll I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what it is. Um, it was a, an interesting weekend awaits us this weekend coming. It's the last weekend of local derbies uh, before next weekend's Super Round in Melbourne, um, and there's plenty to talk about as, as always. Rugby on the Raw. Paul, you spoke to Samu Karevi last week in Japan and the, the the Japanese threat, it's always been there, but it feels like it's really ramping up this year. We know that Rory Arnold is going to move from France to Japan on a massive deal. The news in Australian ranks at the moment is that Tom Banks is considering a life-changing offer, offer in the vicinity yeah. of you know, $2.8 million over two years. It really feels like now the corporate clubs are really upping the stakes under this new League One banner, doesn't it? It, it does. And I, I mean, I don't think they've, they've been particularly shy about telling the world that they want to be the number one club competition in the world. Mm. That is happening at the same time as the Japan Rugby Union have a strategy. Again, they're public with it. They want to be top four in the world. Mm. So you've got these two things happening at the same time. But the, the, the thing that the issue that, that would worry me from an Australian perspective and a super rugby Pacific perspective, money's one thing. We all mm. know that that's going to have a massive influence. But the other question is, 
do players like Samu now think that they can play in Japan and actually not lose anything in terms of development? Yeah. Because the coaching resources in Japan are huge. Mm. Samu talked about it last week. He said that he, he thinks he's a better player since he went to Japan. But he was and, not I, and I don't that. think there's any question about that. No question about that. And yeah. he, he talked about in detail about why that was. And he said that, you know, um, when he was in Australia, um, he was basically asked to run through brick walls. And because he was younger, he said, yep, fine, I'll do that. I know that's my strength. He goes to Japan. He's requesting one-on-ones with Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones is telling me you're going to get more touches with the ball. He says, somebody Karevi said, there's hundreds of people after to, to teach him how to kick, pass. Resources yeah. are incredible. So that would be my big worry. Uh, Harry will know this as well. There are a lot of quality Springboks who have been playing Japan for a number of years. There are, there are no... Uh, South African coaches up there as well. There is an elite smattering of rugby brains up there, coaching-wise, and it has not harmed the spring box that Malcolm Watts mm. is playing in Japan. I think Damien Dialende is going to Japan after Munster as well. I suspect he'll end up at Panasonic where he was before. So that that that's that's the other issue for me. Do players, yeah. I think, I don't actually need to play in Super Rugby to develop as a player. Yeah, and, and the Japan uh, experiment is actually interesting because the French clubs will will not release their players or pretend that they have an injury. They robbed us of Bismarck Duplessis, uh, Jan Serfentain for years on this mm-hmm. kind of BS. The, the, the Japanese clubs don't do that in they in their contracts and not, also not in yet. good faith. Not yet. In good don't. faith. It's a, there was that glimmer with Karevi um, mm. uh, in 2021. But I'm saying in general, like when Peter Steftatoy signs a contract and goes and gets coached by Steve Hansen in Japan with an unbelievable coaching setup yeah. and actually gets fitter, he has in his contract exactly what he can do. And so um, Rossi and, and Jacques are able to count on him. They don't have the Karevi uh, problem. So. Yeah. And that's because they have so many people there that sometimes it's a South African talking to South African. It's like a coach and a coach, they're mates from yeah. great college. And they go, hey, can I have my guy? Yeah, can I have your guy? So I do think there's that coming. Um, interesting, Paul said, some people got better. I think that's true, some. And it's interesting, it's the same kind of Springbok that got better. It was a one-dimensional guy, like a Lapis Lapis Gachny, who we lost to Japan, mm-hmm. but he became the captain. But he was always just a tackle machine. But yeah. the Japan experiment showed him how to offload. Um, you look at some guys like Malcolm Marks, they're getting unbelievably upskilled in Japan. Yeah. Well, even look at Michael Hooper last year after, you know, six months with with Steve Hansen and, and Simon Cron there, Cron there at Toyota. And he had just different little elements to his game that like, we knew he was strong on the ball, but he was strong mm. on the ball and quick suddenly. And he had good little offloads and he was playing more of a link role than... You know, even those who dream of playing him as an inside center, you know, had, had seen before. It's it, it is really interesting, Paul, to see the the evolution um, of the Japanese game, and now to the point where, even though the Sun Wolves are no more, and now I feel like appropriate <laughs> wearing that T-shirt, um, uh, that it really it might not actually be impacting the the Japanese national setup as much as they maybe feared it might. 
No, and I, I think I know Robbie Deans is big in this, and he's obviously selling selling it because he's he's been at Panasonic for years. But I mean, he does feel that there is an inevitability that um, there is some sort of form of crossover competition, and, yeah. and and I think New Zealand and Australia are going to have to come to terms with that, and yeah. and they may even have to come to terms with the fact that they pick players for their national teams out of that competition because they'll be playing in the same. The seasons are all aligned now. Mm. Um, they you have your domestic competition and crossover and then rolls into test season. It, it, the way that it's going and the money that's on offer, I mean, Tom Banks cannot refuse that money. No, he, it, he just simply cannot refuse that money. It's very, and, very hard. And he, he won't be the last. I mean, no. I, I think that Richie Mwanga will join Suntory after the next World Cup. Um, they're certainly in the, you know, in the market for that sort of caliber of player. It, it, it's pointing in one direction. Yeah. And that direction is not, unfortunately, Australia and New Zealand. And, and it feels like it would be doable. Like we're, we're playing 15 rounds of Super Rugby Pacific this year, but you could quite easily cut that back to 12 and finals and then have, you know, a month, six weeks of a Champions League style type thing with Japan. And it would be huge. It would be huge for all three countries, I think. But yeah, it, it's just, I, I don't know how, how it would work and whether it would be meaningful rivalries developed or not, but it, it's just that that is where the money is. Yeah. And whether we like it or not, professional sport is always shaped by money. Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, who can begrudge guys taking a million dollars a year more than no. they get in Australia? No. And no. If, he goes to, if he goes to Japan, he, he will get quality coaching. There's, yeah. nothing that, there's nothing that says to me that Tom Banks can't, can't go to Japan and become a better player mm. because we know that he hasn't quite taken that next step. And there's nothing that, that, that says to me he can't go over there and do that from there. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the big issue. And once players get that into their minds and start talking amongst each other, which they do all the time, as we know, mm. then, then that's, that's the last hurdle gone. The money's there. The coaching's there. And then maybe they're going to get an opportunity to play against New Zealand and Australian teams anyway. Yeah, it'll be. Yeah, you're right. It's it's it feels inevitable. It, there's not quite as much talk about it as I thought there might be, but it does still feel inevitable, and, and it will be intriguing to see if it plays out. It'd be intriguing to see if they do. Even adding one more import onto the field could change the landscape as well. So yeah, yeah. We, we we certainly won't be. Certainly won't be the last time we talk about this. I'm intrigued before we let you go, Paul, the, the feeling in New Zealand ahead of the Super Round next weekend and the crossover games to follow. Um, I think we've lost the fear that maybe the New Zealand teams would have to stay in Australia. I think I think the two-way travel can can effectively happen from the end of April with no no trouble at all now. No, that's right. So yeah. they, you know, they'll be coming, coming back and forth. I mean, I, th- I think that um, it's funny when you talk about the crossover games, the coaches and players can't wait to play the Australian teams. They love it. Mm. They love going over there and, and, and they love, the, 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 they feel it's a very different style of rugby. Mm. They feel that the Australian teams actually test them in different ways. You ask the average Kiwi rugby fan though, and they're kind of not that interested. And we have talked about this before in yeah. social media. But I mean, all I can say is that the players and coaches, have a genuine respect for what Australian rugby is trying to do. 
uh, I think Brad Thorne in particular, of course, is um, highly regarded over here. The Brumbies are regarded, very well mm. regarded over here. They will notice the improvement in the Waratahs as well. So I think that they're, they're, they're really looking forward to it. The, the average Kiwi rugby fan, well, it's a different, it's a different, um, a different matter, but you know, I think I think they're really excited about it, and I think that New Zealand rugby is really excited about getting this competition properly up and running because yeah. this is this is a future for rugby in this region. Certainly, the way that they see it, I, I don't know rugby Australia is quite as keen. Um, so they're 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 keen to get this up and running. Mm. There, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of anticipation amongst the coaches and players for it for sure. Yeah, no, Paul, be... Paul, I was uh, pumping up your ability to pick teams and to put you on the spot. Are there a handful of players from uh, either side, the Kiwi or the Aussie side, that, that you see as having built a very, very nice Super Rugby 2022 so far? In terms of players? Yeah. Um, let me see. Um... He's just gonna. He's just gonna shuffle through the three full reserve teams, reserve squads he's picked here. He's just. Flashing <laughs> yeah. up in front of him. Um, like I think, in terms of maybe players that you're not expecting to have um, um, big seasons or maybe not as well known in Australia, the most improved player in New Zealand is Bryn Gatland at the Chiefs, and yeah, he's, he's been, been great. kind of job sharing with Josh Uwani, and I think that'll continue. Um, He's, he's a guy that's really come a long way, a different sort of number 10 uh, compared to the other ones in New Zealand. But almost, I think that, almost an old school 10, Paul. Yeah, I, I remember talking to him a couple of years ago and he's obviously got big Northern Hemisphere connections. And the guy that he likes as a player is Johnny Sexton. Yeah. Because uh, Johnny, yeah. because yeah. he hasn't got the, those guys haven't got the, you know, the acceleration, all the rest mm. to do the Richie Moan, the Golden Barrett things, but they're, they're smart players. And they see he, the game, yeah. He's 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 one guy really to to look out for, and and it's unfortunately got suspended. But Caleb Clark was really starting to find he's wow, coming good, yeah. Big yeah. big form. He's a big big man. I mean, he's one of those guys that you know is big, but when you see him in the flesh, you just yeah, you know, just huge, just explosive. Work rates improved. Um, the other guy would I would I would say from the Blues is Stephen Perifetta. I'm yeah, a big yes. fan of Stephen Perifetta. He's been really good. He's a classy player. He had a very strong NPC for Taranaki. Uh, him and Peter Gus Sawakula were the two key players in that side, and he's just continued that on. Moved to fullback last week because Barrett's there. Mm. That's a nice combination. It's goal kicking superb as well. And maybe that's the Kiwis have the Kiwis have so many first five eights. It's like yeah. they have eight eight. They have eight eights. They it's they the whole they have the whole package. <laughs> the full, the like full everyone eight. else is trying to find two. They have eight. And maybe Paul, Terrible. that's that's the difference in the Blues this year. In in that they've been able to switch from Perifetta to 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 Barrett at ten from one week to the next, and they haven't missed a beat. The, you know they they've just the been blue, they've been great. The Blues have had. They have had a lot of disruption and have had injuries as well. They yeah. haven't, I don't think they've put even they've put their best team out yet. Akira Yuani yeah. hasn't even played yet. No, true. Um, they've used a lot of their players 
Uh, Finlay Christie has missed a lot of rugby at no, number nine. Bowden mm-hmm. Barrett's barely played. Other two of Asher Shakes, you know, barely True. played. True. They have, they're actually, they've got a lot left in them. And, yeah. um, but their ability to be broken down by well-organized teams like the Brumbies, that window has shrunk considerably. They're yeah. not that team anymore, no, no. but they still have the explosive players on the outside to hurt you. Yeah. So they'll be good to watch in you know, those crossover games for sure. Yeah. Dare I, dare I say it, Harry, they're even becoming a little bit easier to tip, the Blues. <laughs> and that's what's, about what's as... really what's 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 really though the the hidden weapon for the Aussie teams is their jerseys. Look, um, the Brumbies <laughs> orange. It's like it's like Netherlands in 1975 that's, or something. That's Australian Clockwork gold, orange. excuse me. And uh, and then the the rebels with their pink. I mean, you see Caboose Elof in a tight pink jersey. It's <laughs> actually quite disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been it's been fantastic. Look, Paul, it's been great to talk to you um, again. It's been too long Brilliant. since we've caught up personally, um, but yeah, but fantastic to have you on the pod. We'll we'll definitely get you on back on through the uh, through the year, particularly as we start um, getting closer to Bledisloe's and international tests and things like that. It'd be great to have you back on. Oh, there'll be plenty to talk about. There's a bit, there's a, there's a bit happening in that space in New Zealand, as you may have noticed with yeah. um, Ian Foster and so on. So we'll have <laughs> plenty of um, ammunition. No, no doubt. Cheers, Paul. Don't Good be a stranger. Come Love back you. anytime. No, Thank thanks you. for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. The Roar. Harry, Super Rugby Round 9 uh, this week. It's the Crusaders and Blues, which is a makeup game for Round 5. That's the last one that needs to be played, as I mentioned. That's going to be an absolute ripper. Uh, the Rebels and Reds down in Melbourne. And then on Saturday, it's the Chiefs and Moonga Pacifica. Uh, the Highlanders and the Hurricanes in Dunedin and then the Force and the Waratahs in Perth. Uh, a couple of really good games there. Hit me with the URC update. How's it all How's it all been going this last weekend? Just gone. Yeah, so all the Irish and Scottish teams uh, that, that qualified were playing in the European uh, champs. So there was, uh, it was South African derby time and really it was just one. It was the, the good versus evil, uh, the lattes versus the Bry, the, um, <laughs> the rough and ready versus the cosmopolitan Stormers Bulls. So... Yep. The Bulls came down to the seaside and played. They lost 17-19. Jake White moaned and cried, as he always does. Um, he tried to demean the accomplishment, but really it was a great accomplishment. You had Damien uh, Willemsa slotting a drop goal to win. It's a beautiful thing. We love our drop goals. But you had, you know, box office clashes across the park. You had Elroy Lowe versus uh, Ifan Ruiz uh, playing for the, the next number eight uh, successor to Dwayne Vermeulen. You had some Diamani, the flank for Stormers that I think the rest of the world really needs to see. He's, uh, I think he has minus 11 seconds speed in the 100 meters, but he's a flank. Minus uh, 11 seconds? Yeah, big guy. He was actually uh, a serious, serious track and field athlete uh, when, when he was a kid. And some of these some of these guys haven't been seen yet. But yeah, the kicking duel was very good. Uh, Mani Libok for the Stormers. Um, so in the end, what happens is you you have a bye coming up, I think, for Stormers, and then they play Glasgow at yep. home. Leinster comes to to Cape Town, and then yeah, a, cool. a bunny at the end, Scarlet. So you look at the table, you have Leinster, Ulster, Glasgow, but now you have uh, Stormers and Munster nipping at the heels. Sharks on the way up, they they bash the Lions. So you're looking at some South African teams qualifying for the European Challenge uh, and the European Championship League Champions Cup, next yeah. year, yeah, which is what they're all playing for, right? Yeah. So that's how you keep some players at home. If the Australians want to w- watch a sort of like dynamic here, it's 
how do you get your players able to have the money, have the experience, play us overseas, but still stay home yeah. is to somehow attach to, to a, some kind of, like you said, a super Which league or something. Probably going to be Japan. Yeah. How, how many, how many rounds to go about three? Is that right? Before so three, yeah, three, three, yeah. Play, three rounds. There's a, there's a buy coming up this week for everyone, yeah. I think. Yeah. Three rounds and then play up. Yeah. Stormers Leinster in a couple of weeks. That could be, that could be a massive yeah. game to, to tune in. Yeah, uh, Cryptic Captains is back, mate. Scott Barrett was famously outed as being a violent hallway prefect. And we heard second or third hand that Sakopi Kepu actually quite liked the idea that he'd be a lounge singer, if not a pro rugby player. So hit me, mate. What would Alan Alalator be if not a pro rugby player? Ah, oh, this is truly, uh, this is truly off the seat of my pants. I'm pulling this out of my underpants. Um, I don't think I want to hear uh, this. Uh, police, uh, cop, cop. Um, <laughs> the, the kind of the kind of policeman who asks you very difficult questions, like um, existential questions, like why is there so much blood on your knuckles and his nose, like that kind of guy. <laughs> that would be that would be the nicest cop going around. I know that. What about Dalton, Dalton Papali'i, who just played his fiftieth game for uh, for the Blues against the Chiefs last weekend? What would he be? He's a captain. Uh, okay, yeah. so oh yeah, I'll, he is. Um, I'll put you on the spot, haven't I? He's like a youth minister who takes some kids on a trip to like <laughs> Irian Jawa and never comes back. He uh, he creates a cult, uh, and they like sell <laughs> paste to heal wounds. I don't know. I'm just making up shit now. Yes, no, you definitely are. <laughs> you definitely are. Uh, and that is episode ten of the Raw Rugby Podcast done. You can find both Harry and I on the socials, and don't forget to have your say and leave any questions on the Raw when the new episode page lands. Uh, and don't forget to check out another week of Super Rugby Tipping where the hairy man has fallen after his rise to the top last week. The pod is on all the major platforms now. Like, follow, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to ensure the new episode drops uh, indie notifications as soon as it goes live. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones every week on the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate and the home of all your favourite rugby analysis and opinions. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week. Come play with us. <laughs>